1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel.
2: When we worship God, there is this natural intrinsic benefit to worship that is a blessing to our own souls. You can come into God's house. You have maybe a heavy heart, you're burdened by something and you just start to worship the Lord and you and you lift your hands in praise and you just lift your voice and you and you don't even necessarily feel feel like worshiping, but the more you do, there's just this natural benefit of God breathing his presence into your heart and lifting your soul.
1: Worship isn't about what it does for you. It's not about the emotions or feelings. It's about the subject of your worship. It's something you can do even when you don't feel like it. The purpose of worship is to exalt God. But as Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, it naturally will lift up your spirits as well. Directing your attention towards your loving Heavenly Father, acknowledging His sovereignty and goodness brings your soul into alignment with His will and provides supernatural peace. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: 1 Samuel chapter 16 I'm going to read middle of verse 11 down through verse 13, just so we can refresh ourselves where we left off last week. So middle of verse 11, it says, And Samuel, that's the prophet, said to Jesse, that's David's father, Send and bring him, meaning the last of the eight sons that Jesse somehow decided was not necessary to bring uh, before Samuel, as Samuel was choosing the next king of Israel. And so... And so he says to, to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. And so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. There's the first mention of his name here in the book of First Samuel. The Lord came upon David from that day forward, so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So he went home because his work was done. The Lord had told the prophet Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel. God had determined that Saul was not capable of leading the people, and so God had rejected Saul as king. And Saul was the first king of Israel, and uh, the people demanded a king, and so God gave them a king in order for them to see just how miserable they're going to be with with an earthly king, and, and Saul failed miserably. He disobeyed God. He was a disobedient king. He got off to a good start, but he didn't finish well. Now, Saul will continue to rule and reign for a couple more decades, uh, but well in advance of Saul's replacement, God says to Samuel, I want you to choose king number two. And so Samuel goes there to the house of Jesse Jesse has eight sons, but he only thought it necessary to bring seven of the eight sons in front of Samuel, thinking that the seven were really worthy of perhaps being a king. But the eighth, the little one, the youngest one, is out in the field tending sheep, and we're not even going to bother to bring him in the house. And that's the one that God had determined. And Samuel went down each of the sons, and we got through all seven. He said to Jesse, is there not another one? Because none of these guys is the one that the Lord's telling me is king. And Jesse's like, yeah, there's a little shepherd kid. You know, he's a little ruddy, you know, he's the runt of the family. He's, he's taking care of the sheep. The Bible describes David as good looking and ruddy. So he probably had a reddish appearance, probably auburn hair, which is an anomaly. But you will find some Israelis who have this kind of a a, uh, a physical characteristics where they have like auburn hair that can even have, It's it's possible that when it says here that David had bright eyes, that it means he had blue eyes and reddish hair. And he was a good-looking guy, but he wasn't, um, in Jesse's mind, in his dad's mind, king material. But but the Lord um, recognizes things that we don't. Um, He looks at the heart and not the outward appearance, and so Jesse finally brings him in and and Saul anoints him with oil. The anointing of oil was an ancient way of setting someone aside for specific godly purposes. It was typically done for priests, but also done for kings. And so Samuel takes out a horn, which was a hollow horn of an ox or, or, um, some other animal. And, um, he has olive oil in it and he pours it over David. You're the next king. But David is only 10 years old, maybe 15 at the most. Scholars believe somewhere 10 to 15 and, and a lot of them end up on the lower end of that scale. So he's just a kid. He will not be king for another 15 to 20 years. He becomes king, he reigns as king when he's 30. And so this is when we're introduced now here to David. Um, His name in Hebrew is pronounced David, and his name translates beloved. He's the only David in the Bible. There are many Names that, uh, you see often mentioned in the Bible, and you have to figure out which, which Samuel is this, which, you know, which person is this. But David, there's only one in the entire Bible. And he becomes a central theme. He dominates the rest of the Bible. This is a, this is a man that God has selected. Uh, and we're not finished with David either. We see him appearing in the Millennial Kingdom, but that's another Bible study. But here's an example of how he dominates Scripture, because the royal line of Israel will be known as the house of David. Jerusalem will be known as the city of David, because that's where he reigned. Bethlehem will be known as the town of David, that's where he was born. Most of the Psalms are known as the Psalms of David, and Messiah, Jesus, is known as the son of David, because he's of the line of, of David. And David's life is divided into four stages. We mentioned this last week, just a quick summary. His life is divided into these four stages, the shepherding years, the hiding years when he's on the run from Saul, the fighting years, and the reigning years. And we looked at a couple of quick principles from chapter 16 last week, and this first one I neglected to mention, so this one might be new for some of you, but it's really taken from verse 7, and it's worth remembering here because... Out of out of verse seven, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, talking about Saul. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's a famous passage that many of us are familiar with if you've been around the Bible for very long. So one of the takeaways, the principle from chapter sixteen, is just this. Number one, that people are impressed with the external with image and appearance, but God is concerned with the internal, it's the heart, that's what matters most. We live in a very uh, materialistic uh, society where people are all concerned about how they look and the impression that they make and what their image is, in, you know, in front of other people, and God is just not interested in that kind of thing. What God is concerned about is the heart, and and that's what he sees in David. Versus Saul. Saul was tall. The Bible says a head and shoulders above anybody else. He was good looking. He looked like a king. He had the appearance of a king, but his heart was not right with God. And what God wants in all of us is the heart. And it doesn't really matter the outward external appearance. What what God is interested in is the heart. And then the other thing that I mentioned at the close of our study last week, this is where we left off, is that God is working in the waiting. And what I mean by that is, here young David is, again, maybe 10, 15 at the most, being anointed to be the next king of Israel, but he won't actually reign for another 15 to 20 years. And during that 15 to 20 years, God will teach David much. It's not wasted years. Those are years where he still is a shepherd, And he's going to learn how to identify with God, relate to God, hear God. He's going to learn about tending sheep in the same way that he will tenderly tend people to reign over them. God's going to teach him much as a young shepherd. And those will also be years where he will be on the run from Saul. Saul will literally, as we will read later, try to kill this guy because Saul is threatened by young David because he knows this is my successor. And so he's constantly fearful, Saul paranoid. Um, he's wanting to control everything. And so he literally, at different times, tries to kill David. And David is on the run for about 15 years of his life, uh, just running from Saul. And, and uh, this is when he heads down to En Gedi, down by the Dead Sea. And this is when he hides in, in, the, in the rocks and in the caves. And this is where he talks about, lead me to the rock that is higher than I you know he 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 even takes advantage of the topography and and the and the scenery to to uh draw near to the lord and you know as a deer pants for water so my soul thirsts after you there's only one spring down by the dead sea and Gedi. that's where david would hide and as he would draw water from this one spring in the middle of the desert that's what he would write these things about as a deer pants for water. So my soul thirsts after you. I mean, they, these will be teachable years. And so the point in sharing this as a principle for us is God is working in the waiting. Some of you are in a period of waiting for whatever it might be. Maybe you're you're waiting um, to get married. Maybe you're waiting to have kids. Maybe you're waiting for that career that, that you that you would like or whatever the case might be waiting to move, waiting for something. You know, don't get impatient because it is in those waiting years that that God can do wonderful things in your heart to prepare you, to refine you. Uh, you know, there's some things that like an onion that need to be peeled off layer by layer and God will reveal some things to us. But look, you know, when God moved in the hearts and lives of people, it often Uh, was preceded by years of waiting. David would would wait some 15 to to 20 years. Uh, uh, Paul, when he had his conversion experience as Saul on the road to Damascus, it would be 10 years before he would preach his first evangelistic gospel message and lead anybody to Christ. Moses had to wait 40 years uh, Jesus, Think about it. I mean, from the time he was born until his public ministry was 30 years. I mean, you know, God will take his time to do his good work. The waiting is not in vain. I just, somebody needs to hear that tonight. Uh, and it is so counterintuitive to what we're used to, because in our culture, we want everything instantly. And if it doesn't happen by Thursday, we get mad at God. How many of you can relate to what I'm saying? Come on, let's be honest. Like, yes. And so we're we we're impatient because that's the way our culture is now. Everything is supposed to be instant. Instant rice, instant pudding. Everything is instant. Do you, you stand in front of your Have you ever stood in front of your microwave impatiently, right? It's like, why isn't this thing faster? It's because that's how we're wired. I, I read this report, this this study that McDonald's did two years ago. They commissioned a study in South Florida because one of their chains of restaurants in South Florida, they were getting complaints from customers that the drive-thru was taking too long. And so McDonald's commissioned a study and they found that from the time somebody gave their order at this particular McDonald's chain, from the time they got their gave their order, When you talk into the box, right, until you actually got the food, it was three minutes, nine and a half seconds. And McDonald's says, that's way too long, way too long. What was their goal? From the time you give your order till you get your food, 60 seconds. That's McDonald's goal as a corporation, 60 seconds. So guess what? If we don't get our food in 60 seconds, we're like complaining, we're mad, like what's wrong with you people? Well, therefore, translate that. Now, like how do we wait on God? It's like, God, you're taking longer than 60 seconds. Yeah, he might take six decades. Get used to it. Right? Now, I hope not. Right? None of us want to wait 60 years. Wait till I find my perfect spouse. You're never going to find the perfect spouse anyway, friends. So forget that. There is no perfect spouse. Okay. You're like, I'm just waiting for my stud. No, he's a spud. Okay. He's a potato head. He's a potato head. There is no perfect guy. There's no perfect lady, but God in his timing will bring about his perfect will if we learn to wait upon the Lord. David would write in Psalm 37, seven, because he, because he learned this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 38, 15. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. This is David. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. So we have to to learn, especially in our fast paced culture, we have to learn the discipline of waiting on the Lord. And His perfect timing is always perfect. Well, When the story transitions here to verse 14, it's very tragic because when David gets anointed as the next king of Israel, even though he's just a boy and he won't reign for another 15 or 20 years, verse 14 says, look in your Bibles now, let's carry on reading. Verse 14, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Okay? What kind of a spirit is this? This is a this is an evil spirit that the Lord has allowed. Now, understand the character and nature of God. God does not promote evil; He doesn't produce evil, but He will allow sometimes evil to have its way to accomplish God's purposes. So He permits He permits an evil spirit to torment. Saul. It's part, really, of God's hand of judgment against this guy because he's been disobedient to the Lord. And this evil spirit has caused him trouble. It's a distressing spirit. It has caused him trouble. The Hebrew word for trouble can translate fear or uh, he's terrified. And so fear comes over Saul. It's going to start to dominate his life He becomes a man who is not only fearful, but he's a man who is paranoid. And this is going to really disturb him. And uh, verse 15, and Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who was skillful. It was a skillful player of the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. And so Saul's attendant said, You know what we need to do? We need to have we need to have some soothing music for you. And so we need to find somebody who's skilled in playing the harp. Now don't don't think of a harp like the kind, you know, on wheels that, you know, is long in an orchestra and somebody, you know, leans it back against their shoulder. This is more like a lyre, it's a small instrument. It was back in the day it was kind of the equivalent of a guitar, but it but it was more of an upright um and but it had stringed, it was a stringed instrument. And they're they're saying, you know, what we need to find is somebody who can play some, you know, soothing a uh, music for you and and uh, some elevator music. That's what you need. So verse seventeen, and so Saul said to his servants, well, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me." And then one of the servants answered and said, "Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him." Okay, pause for a moment. He's talking about David. Now David, at this point, so as the story transitions. Um, he's he's a little bit older here, but when this guy says he's a mighty man of valor, um, um, a mighty man of war, it is speaking of his courageous spirit, not not that he's old enough to go into battle yet, because we're going to see in, in the next chapter he's not old enough to fight in the Israeli army against Goliath, so he's still. A young guy is probably a teenager by the time he, he fights Goliath. So he's somewhere now, a little bit older than when he was anointed, but not old enough to go to battle. So probably young in his teen years. And this guy's like, now listen, Saul does not yet know that David is his replacement. The, the whole anointing happened privately in Jesse's home. So Saul does not know the person that God has selected to replace him. So this is all God's providential timing here, where Saul's servant goes. You know what? I know this young this young guy. He's fierce. He's courageous. And why does he say that? He has a reputation of being courageous because in chapter seventeen we're going to see by David's own testimony that guy while he was tending sheep killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands and uh, and he lived to tell about it. And so he's got that reputation. It's like this this guy. You know, he he kills lions with his bare hands. And uh, and so he's a mighty man here. So and so therefore verse 19, verse uh, uh, nineteen. And so therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, "Send me your son David, who was with the sheep." And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. Because okay? it is like I'm not going to send my son empty-handed to the king. So we're going to we're going to load him up with some gifts. In verse 21, and so David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul, the troubling spirit, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. And then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Alright, two, two, two things from what we just read here. Two more, two principles from, from chapter 16. First of all, disobedience to God invites distress for us. Um, the distressing spirit, this, this evil spirit that God allowed, that God permitted to, to uh, trouble Saul, was because of Saul's disobedience. And I'm not suggesting that every time we disobey God, he's going to allow a demonic spirit to come and torment us. But I think the principle still is noteworthy that we only invite hardship in our lives when we disobey God. I mean, that's just a standard principle of Christianity 101 that we need to get. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. We invite hardship into our lives. Look, living in a fallen world is hard enough. But when we sin against God, we're inviting even more hardship into our lives because of our disobedience. And so we we can learn this from Saul. Saul disobeyed God. God was patient with Saul, not once, but twice. After the second time, God says, I'm done with you. I've rejected you as king. And part of his judgment here is this tormenting spirit. So we need to be mindful of the fact that we invite additional hardship into our lives when we disobey God. That's just the way it's going to go down. And, And so learn from Saul's mistakes here. Let us take warning from it. And, but then the other thing that is good to note is worship soothes the soul. There is some intrinsic value in, in worship. Now, let me back up and say this. There's only one object of our worship, and that's the Lord. So I'm not saying worship God to get something. But I, what I am saying is when we worship God, there is this natural intrinsic benefit to worship that is a blessing to our own souls. You can come into God's house, you have maybe a heavy heart, you're burdened by something, and you just start to worship the Lord, and you, and you lift your hands in praise, and you just lift your voice, and you, and you don't even necessarily feel, feel like worshiping, but the more you do, there's just this natural benefit of God breathing His presence into your heart and lifting your soul. And so, so never discount just the wonder of worship, because as we worship the Lord, there's this natural result that happens for us. Sometimes it's good just, you know, when you're in your car or you're, you know, at home or whatever, that you turn on the radio or you hit Pandora on your phone and you just hit some worship music and you just fill the room with worship. And as God is exalted, there's this wonderful thing that begins to just happen in our souls. And And so, you know, here's here Saul is tormented by this spirit, but as David plays, and David's this worshiper, you know, he wrote 75% of the Psalms, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he as he as he worships, you know, God is soothing Saul's soul. And it's a good reminder to us. All right, chapter 17, let's keep reading, because this, this is the big chapter. A lot of people don't even go to church are familiar with this story. This is the story of David and Goliath. And, and so chapter 17 says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko. Soko is about 15 miles due west of Bethlehem, which belongs to Judah, and they encamped between Sukkot and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Is an open ocean. Jump in and you'll find the your connection, run towards your new life.
1: Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they face during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection.